With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I switched to Boost Mobile and got a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Want to know the best part? Uh, it was free? Nope. The fact that it's on America's largest 5G networks? Nope. It's the ding. Oh, yeah. Love the ding. Right? It's all about the ding. It's the dingarooski, the dingarona, the ring-a-ding-ding. Unleash your power to save with Boost. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone when you switch. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. And the ding. Limited time offer. New customers only. Available on select networks. 5G not available everywhere. One device per line. Tax excluded. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes, and today I'm delighted to be to be joined by Natasha Miko and Lawrence Connolly. Apologies, we're a few minutes late, a few technical hitches, but we're here now, and we want to talk about all things Celtic. We've got a big game; every game's big to try and maintain the professional pride uh, tomorrow night. Interestingly enough, Natasha, Jimmy Goodwin comes out and says. They have no fear. I think that's one of the biggest issues this season. No one seems to have any fear when they come to play Celtic. How can we get back to making our games against these teams um, events where, you know, they're, they're maybe going into it thinking, we've got to keep this down to three or four nothing. They don't think like that anymore against Celtic. They think they can take, no. a, take a win off us. Yeah, and I mean, rightly so. They just have to look at the results of other teams um, round about them in the league and manage to get against us. And they think, why not? We're there for the taking. Um, and that's probably the worst criticism you can give to a Celtic side who expect to be dominant, is that other teams lower down the league think that we're there for the taking. But when we've been performing the way we have, then that's to be expected. I think the biggest issue for us this season is that teams know how to play us. Mm -hmm. um, they know how to play against us. You put the back four under a bit of pressure and they tend to crumble. So... You know, if you block off our, our wingers, stop us getting width, um, put pressure on the back four, cut off the supply to Edward, and you figured us out. And it's not that hard because, unfortunately, you know, when we tend to go a goal down or, or aren't scoring, we don't have a plan B and teams have sussed our plan A. And that's why there's no few factor. Mm. 
you know when you're talking about that and um, when you're looking at some of the goals a lot of the goals actually that we are scoring are down to individual pieces of brilliance they're down to long range efforts Lawrence how concerning um, are you, is that that you know we don't have a plan B we don't have a range of ideas once we get to that final third well hopefully Getting a more settled defence is going to help us. I th- think the boy from Everton's certainly, you know, he's looked good. What we've seen of him, his crossings look, look better. Eddie seems more in the mood. Mm-hmm. Looks like we're going to give a, a yeti a run of games, which may help. You know, up top, both Eddie and Graff have been struggling this season, so I, I don't suppose that helps. We don't know who's going to be in front of them, or, or, or even if. We know who's going to be there. They're just not performing. But Eddie seems back in the mood. I don't know if that's helping his flatmate moving on. It seems to be a, an unsettling influence in the, the dressing room. Mm. So, yeah, if Eddie's in the mood, you know, it, teams will probably fear us. But if he starts hitting form, the problem is, you know, we've got keepers, all three of them. Jeez, you've got to fancy scoring against them. You, you've not seen a big save from any of them, have you? Uh, Looks like Welsh and Ayer partnership. It looks a bit more solid than anything we've fielded all season. Uh, and, you know, we've got the, a decent right back in now, and it's either Taylor or Diego at left back. So hopefully that gives us something to build on. I don't know if we stick with Bain. He didn't look great the last game. You know, Barclays is five million, but geez, oh. Yeah. I think you, I think you've said enough there with, with Barca's geez oh absolutely uh, when you're looking at that Natasha and you're looking at some of the kind of the positives to take out of this season of all seasons I think one of the biggest ones just in recent weeks has been Welsh the performances of Welsh it looks so assured and you know there's no way for me for my money there's no way that Duffy can come back into that side if you ask me you run you give him a run of games alongside Dyer and I think that'll really hold him in good stead for next season Absolutely, couldn't agree more and it's something that we've been talking about on here for a few weeks now is that I'd see absolutely no benefit in in continuing to play a low knee player who in three months time won't be here rather than a young centre half we've brought through our own system and give him the experience you know at this stage of the season with very little left to lose we might as well give young players like Welsh a chance in place of players like Duffy who aren't going to be here next season and to be honest, you know, Welsh hasn't really put a foot wrong. Um, you know, she's actually doing better than Duffy did. So I see absolutely no benefit in bringing Duffy back into the squad. Um, I think it's good for Welsh. Give him a run of games, get his confidence up. Um, and he could be a really good option next season. And, you know, I like some of the comments that are coming out from the club. You know, players like Taylor are saying that, you know, Welsh isn't quiet. He gets in about it. He commands the defence. And that's excellent, you know, for a young player to come into a more experienced defence and be the one that's commanding it. You know, that's a great accolade and it's a great skill as a centre half. Um, so give him the experience, give him the game time and, and watch him develop is definitely my preference. One of the, the players we've seen him talking through a game, and I've mentioned it a few times, is Diego Laxalt, far more experienced international player of, of a big reputation when it came to Celtic. Now, at the moment, Lawrence, he's been held out of the side by Greg Taylor. You said earlier that it'll be one or the other. Who do you go for? Because although Laxalt has dropped off, um, he did have a significant contribution at the end of the game against Motherwell. I don't think that's enough for him to, to jump the queue and get a first-team jersey but there has been quite a few changes um, when we're trying to get that momentum, so it wouldn't surprise me. Who do you think is the first choice left back? Is it still Taylor for you? I would stick with Taylor. And it's a bit of, he's your player, he's 23, we need to develop him. You know, mm-hmm. Laxalt, goodness knows how much it costs from AC Milan, and we've got investment needed all over the park, but you've got Taylor, he needs to develop. His stats are actually pretty decent in terms of assists, you know, his stats are better than, than Diego's, but whether or not you think he's a better player, his stats are better. So, yeah, I would stick with Taylor, uh, develop him, uh, you know, that's all cool with, with line clearance, but, you know, as you say, it's not enough to keep his place. But, you know, hopefully, if we can develop Taylor and Welsh to the end of the season, you know, it, it starts looking a bit more promising. And we know Big Welsh can take an elbow now uh, as well. We'll come back so, to that. We'll come back to that, Lawrence. The BBC then. We'll come back to that because, I mean, obviously, refereeing and um, decision making is 
is at the forefront really of, of the discussion because we're, we're going to be getting a, an update I think on Albion Ayeti at some point in relation to um, him being cited um, for his supposed dive and then we're going to look at a few other aspects of that now Natasha we've spoken we've mentioned John Joe Kenny I've seen he was on um, media duties the other day as well I've been really impressed with him what's your thoughts on, on Kenny and I know it's another loan deal um, but uh, at the moment it's not a loan to buy but you just never know between now and the end of the season you know, Everton might want to sell him we're going to get a good look at him between now and then I, I've been fairly impressed I don't think he's really been tested yet yeah, no, I've been impressed as well. Um, he's not done anything wrong. Um, he looks quite positive. I like some of his play. I like the way he gets forward. Um, and yeah, it's frustrating that it's a loan deal. But again, it might be a situation where we are having a look at him before deciding to spend perhaps a bigger amount of cash. Um, and if that's the thinking, then that makes sense. Um, you know, when he first came in, I was thinking similarly to Duffy, why are we playing another loan player for the next three or four months when we've read little to play for you know mm-hmm. save the money for for a bigger rebuild in the summer you know Ayers doing fine at right back let's just go with that but I think what this has proven is by having a proper right back in Kenny we've been able to move Ayer back into the centre um, and I think that's worked wonders for, for the defence for him for Welsh um, so while I was sort of sceptical at the start about bringing in a new right back the way that it's let us shape up at the back and and have a better centre half pairing has also paid off so so yeah I'm I'm happy with the Kenny signing he's he's playing well Yes, I mean, I've been looking with interest at the kind of approach that we're going to have, uh, you know, in terms of transfers. We all look at the situation, we look at the situation with players like Beaton and Elhamid, who have been linked to moves back to uh, Israel. And we know that things will be different in relation to transfer fees, for example. Everybody's going to be coming out the other end, hopefully, by that stage of the the global crisis that we've been in. Uh, We have the the post-Brexit issues in terms of bringing players in. Celtic, I think, will will more or less play safe. It's not as though you know there's going to be a, a signing embargo or anything like that. But do we look at some of the players that we have from within? Because you've looked at you know Welsh, the performances of Welsh, Natasha. He's come in. It looks for me pretty settled. I've been told that there's other aspects of his game that hopefully we'll see developing in the first team as the confidence grows. There's bound to be two or three others like him and then we've got this huge amount of players out on loan. Um, Are any of those careers salvageable for Celtic? I mean, yeah, we've got Jack Henry out on loan who, you know, by all accounts is having a very successful loan spell. Um, Perhaps we bring him back and take a look at him as a possible one to keep in the summer. You know, Schved obviously got off to a terrible start on his loan spell um, Mm -hmm. with the manager being really critical of him. But, you know, in recent weeks, he seems to be doing much better. Um, As manager said, he's integrated into the squad more. He's scoring goals. So again, he's perhaps one that we've been watching on his loan spell and he's part of the plans for next year. So things are going to be more difficult in the summer in terms of signing. Um, Brexit issues, for one, are going to make things much tougher for a club like Celtic to sign European players. So that might make us look to, firstly, what we already have, and secondly, to our own development system and to English players. Um, so, you know, the players that we're, we're bringing in might be more limited to that and it might make us perhaps take a second look that we might not have otherwise done that players already on our books like Shred and Henry. Yeah, I think that's going to be important, obviously, for any incoming manager because, Lawrence Conley, I think um, you put a wee dampener on proceedings when we were talking about the future and talking about the changes. We've seen some of them already. Um, We know that Dominic Mackay will be replacing Peter Lowell. There's been talk of a director of football, which I think is the only way forward um, for a club like Celtic under the circumstances. Some people are looking at the um, possibility that, that Neil Lennon will still be in charge. I can't think of uh, a future beyond the season where that's the case Lawrence um, do you still think that that might be a possibility? Listen it's still possible until Dermot decides otherwise but if we're going to make a change and it's going to be direct to football you bring him in before changing the manager I mean it'd be crazy to do something like appoint an assistant manager and then appoint a manager you, you, you know you need to get things in the right order so it appears that that's what we're doing now we're, the changes are kind of happening from the top down so I think it's Lenny till the end of the season you know, we'll have a new CEO in. If it's a director of football, it's coming in. If that's going to be the structure, it'll be director of football. And then you check, make a decision on the manager from there. 
mm. they have to make a, a decision on the manager to then decide whether or not you're going to have a director of football because they knows, knows if the new manager would work under it. But it definitely looks like Lenny to the end of the season. Yeah, I think I'm resigned to that. And obviously, we had someone who's appearing in the the odd um, the odd checker. We had someone who's in the running, if you like, for a maybe not the Celtic job, but certainly for a, a job back in football. And Mark Hughes, and we interviewed him last week. Um, who else, Lawrence, would you like me to try and interview in relation to the Celtic job? Uh, I'm not quite at the stage of anyone. <laughs> I know a lot of support, <laughs> you know, but. Uh, what about Maloney, uh, Martinez? You know, their, their gig, the contract's going to be up after the Euros with Belgium, isn't it? They're going to be on the market. The rumours are, uh, you know, Martinez's wife wants to move back to Scotland. Mm. Would that be a, an ambitious move, yeah, Martinez and Maloney? It would be ambitious. I remember, Natasha, going back to October when I finally broke and my, my tipping point was met and it was half-time at Pataudry and I basically said that Neil Lennon had 45 minutes to save his job. It shows you how much I know because we're sitting in February and he's still in a job. Um, but after the game, Kevin Graham challenged me. He says, well, you know, who would you take? And at, at that moment in time, I thought, right, who would be your number one choice? You know, if if you didn't, if you had that that kind of ambition that I think a lot of Celtic fans do have, where we want to progress not just at home but in Europe, and I mentioned that team of Martinez and Maloney, and I was criticised and called um, every name under the sun for having such ambitions. Do you think Celtic need to, um, you know, temper? Their, their kind of ambitions in that respect. I mean, that would be absolute top drawer if we got someone like that. I've heard the names of, uh, you know, Rafa Benitez. I've heard Ralph Ranić. I've heard all the top top drawer names. Are we still operating in that market? Do you think? Uh, my my heart says yes. I think my head says no. Um, we have to make ourselves an attractive enough prospect to um, get a manager like that. We have to have an attractive setup in place, an attractive salary package, show real ambitions of achieving well in the Champions League. You know, if we can put that to a potential manager of the calibre you've suggested and give them a roadmap to where we want the club to be, and it's enough to pique their interest, then maybe. Um, I'm concerned that we don't have that at the moment and we're not capable of doing that, um, which might temper who we can get slightly. But, you know, the club are capable of it. Um, they're a big club, big fan base, um, and the resources, hopefully, to try and make an impact on European football in the next few seasons. Um, let's aim for the last 16 of the Champions League and if you make that your target, then you know everything else can fall from that. So if you get in a manager telling them that this is your target and you're going to fund them as they need it to get mm -hmm. there, then you maybe can get a better quality manager. The better quality players will follow. And then, you know, the league sort of takes care of itself from there. So if that's the sort of business plan we have in place. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. 
As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Then I don't see why we can't have a high-quality manager, but only the club will know if that is the business plan or not. This is a kind of frustration, I think, because as a fan, uh, as realistic as I possibly can be, I don't expect this, but what I think the target should be every season is you win the league. That's the priority, bread and butter. Um, And I think as a Celtic manager, you should be winning the league plus a cup. If you win a treble, then brilliant. That's phenomenal. And we've done that fairly regularly recently. But we know how difficult that is. If you look through the, the entire history of the club, it's a difficult thing to do. Do it four times in a row is astonishing. So you win the league. That has got to be your bread and butter. So access into the Champions League. Uh, what you would be hoping for, I guess, Lawrence, is that season on season, your target would be, if you were trying to sell this job to a manager, your target would be you've got to get to the group stages uh, and maybe... What would you say one season every three you would hope to progress out of the groups? Do you think that would be a realistic target for Celtic going forward? Lawrence? Uh, we've done it with McManus and Caldwell was a centre-half partnership under Strachan, didn't we? Two last we did. Teams. We did. <laughs> you know, uh, and that's what top draw kind of tactical manager, coach brings you. You, mm-hmm. you know, certainly if you were to think that was your partnership with McManus and Caldwell, two last 16 finishes. You know, we've, we've definitely had better defenders since then and not got as far. So, yeah, I, I think it's wholly realistic. I mean, our only published goal now is to improve on last season. That's our aim, is just to do better than last season. Probably not too difficult to achieve next season, but, <laughs> you, you know, it's kind of... You'd want something to say to the fans, listen, this is what we view ourselves as, we want to get to the groups, and, you mm-hmm. know, last 16, one out of three, two out of three. We should have a structure. I mean, that- Other clubs do it, you know, well developing young players you know we can do it we've got players in loan we've mentioned someone but you've got you know, Scott Robertson he, he looked good when he, when he played for us you know he came back he's now went back out of loan to a, kind of higher up the league tape, team we've got a right back in Lee O'Connor we've got the Man United he's out of mm-hmm. loan mm-hmm. yes let, let's see what they bring and I suppose if we all hammered going he was one of the better bed players it's going to free up you know, a decent amount of wages and probably it'll be the same we, we beat on you know uh, who knows what Covid will bring, but Dermot seems to have been pretty prescient in his business dealings. So hopefully he's got a better idea of financially where the world's going to be than us, and he's got a plan in place for it. Yeah, and and the big thing for me is, although you say that, you know, let's say it was one in three. I mean, we're not doing that. Celtic as a club, Natasha, we're far from doing it. We're not even winning the league this season. I know that. But even when we were dominating the Scottish game, we we didn't have that ratio. We didn't have that success in Europe. So I think part of the restructure would need to be to actually say to the fan base and to potential um, new recruits, this is where we're going. Absolutely. Um, and we talk back about, you know, the Brendan Rodgers era and how the football was better and how that's the sort of manager we like. You know, even in that time, our European success was very limited and that was probably one of his biggest failings. Um, of course, I do agree with the point that the league has to be the bread and butter and the priority every season. But, you know, there's another school of thought which suggests, well, if we make the priority the Champions League if we make the priority turning Celtic into a European team who's every season is competing in the group stages some seasons getting out of them some seasons not but if the priority is that you're a Champions League side to every single year is in the group stages at a minimum if you make that the priority then you're going to get the players in who want to play at that level and you're going to be on that stage that attracts those players so if you've got those players playing for the club then the league kind of takes care of itself. You should be high enough quality to to then win the league. Um, So I wonder if there is some credit in the thinking that we sort of change our perspective a little bit, change our um, main goal and really focus on Europe and and let the domestic side of things take care of itself once we build a proper European football team. No, I think when you look at it like that, you know, if you're aiming higher and and you're looking to progress in Europe, I'm not going to say the league takes care of itself as such, but, you know, the quality is going to be there. Now, we're talking about centre-half partnerships, Lawrence, and um, you brought back some memories of Stevie Caldwell, um, Stevie Caldwell and Gary McManus, aye, Um, because they weren't the most uh, popular characters at Celtic. But just yesterday I did um, interview another Celtic 
player. From time to time, we're going to drop in standalone interviews. We used to do them a lot more often on the Celtic State of Mind, and we've interviewed guys like Neil Lennon. I don't think he'll come back for part two, as I've said. Uh, John Barnes, Ronnie Dyla, loads of excels have appeared on previous episodes of the show. So from time to time, I'm not going to say it'll be every week, but we will have an interview. And yesterday, I interviewed none other than treble winning um, Ramon Vega. So he was interviewed yesterday, we're just editing that and it's going to go out on Sunday. Ramon speaks about his Celtic career, his regrets at Celtic and he speaks about Neil Lennon who obviously he shared the dressing room with for six months when he was at Celtic and he looks ahead to what Celtic need to do to try and get back on track. Um, yes, he regretted certainly not tasting the Champions League football at Celtic because he was a treble winner and we were going into the following season with aspirations I would say under Martin O'Neill, when you think about O'Neill and, and John Robertson, Lawrence has been European Cup winners um, in their playing days. Obviously, they had one eye on Europe, but uh, it wasn't to be for Ramon. What was your memories of the big man? Oh, header off the bar at Hamden. Sutton just tucks it in. Touring header, wasn't it? He was a threat in the box. He was a culture player, did he have a scoring debut as well? He did score two yeah. against Aberdeen. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, definitely a threat for set pieces. Big lumpy boy, but and he'll seem to you like his defenders like that. Uh, mm. Big and robust and imposing. Yeah, yeah, I think it was one that everybody was disappointed when he he chose to to move on. But you know, I don't know what it was down to at the time. Probably money, as always. But uh, yeah, I, I like that. Uh, big as a player, just wish he'd stayed longer. But. You know, you'll find out. You'll find out why you left on Sunday. Yeah, you'll definitely will find out. But when we look at that season, Natasha, that season when O'Neill comes in, and I've used this comparison a fair few times. Celtic needed to a, a completely different approach that year. I mean, this was coming on the back of the Dalglish and Barnes season. Um, you know, O'Neill was inherent a lot of players that he knew wouldn't be part of his plans. He had, you know, the the turnover of his staff coming in and, and leaving was high. I think it's fairly similar to this pre-season I mean obviously uh, we weren't changing the CEO then that that took another couple of years before Peter Lowell eventually came in but in terms of the turnarounds we, we were facing a situation there where Rangers had won the league by 21 points um, during our really forgettable season under John Barnes and Kenny Dalgleish potentially we'll be in a, a similar scenario going into the new season and we had to you know pull a, a, a rabbit out of the hat and we did that in O'Neill Top top drawer appointment. Do we have do we have the boldness to do that? I know Lawrence always goes. It's down to Dermot Desmond, etc. We need to be bold if we want to win this title back from Rangers next season, don't we? Oh, absolutely. Um, and if they don't realise that, if Desmond doesn't realise that, if the board don't realise that, then I have no idea what they've been watching. Um, it's not an exaggeration to say that it's perhaps you know even more desperate than when we brought O'Neill in. We're at that level, if not further. Um, so if they don't realise that we need an appointment and a restructure of, of that magnitude, then they're a lost cause. I have no idea what they've been watching because it is at that level um, and we do need that big an appointment. Um, and I just hope they have it up their sleeve. And like um, you guys talked about yesterday, like Kev mentioned, maybe we just don't know. Maybe it is up their sleeve and they do have this rabbit fill out of the hat. Um, and we don't know about it. I hope so. Mm. Um as you know, time goes on, I am of the opinion that you are, that Lennon is here till the end of the season now. I think we've got to accept that. But there's just that niggling concern that it goes on longer than this season. Um, I think surely that must be impossible, but I'm beginning to wonder if it maybe isn't. Um, you know, you've got Lennon himself talking about summer targets. You've got him talking about the next two or three years. And I wonder if there's just a slight thought process in the back of the mind of, you know, Desmond and the board thinking that it's enough to, to bring a new CEO and perhaps a restructuring in that area maybe we need some sort of stability and that's keeping the management team in place um, if they're going to pin this season on the lack of fans, coronavirus um, the players not wanting to be there, if that's going to take the brunt of the blame and they use that to then keep the management place and team for next season on the basis of stability it's just, I just don't think that's it with the realms of possibility right now, which is a concern. 
It is a concern. One thing I hope they don't do, Lawrence, is I hope they don't uh, make decisions based on what's happening elsewhere. And what I mean by that is what's happening at Ibrox. I hope they don't look at the situation over there. We all know that uh, obviously Rangers have thrown everything uh, at this season and uh, the risk has paid off. But Stephen Gerrard's stock has risen massively. There are going to be suitors down south, I'm sure. And I just hope they're not looking at that and thinking, well, you know, if someone else new comes in, they're going to have time to adapt. We've just got to look after our own backyard on this one, haven't we? And I think, you know, when we, we look at the Rangers game uh, at Ibrox, when near Beaton sent off, and we, we played really well, I think, for about an hour. Everybody realises that uh, we, we gave a really good account of ourselves during that period. At that moment in time, I still felt that things were salvageable. I actually felt that we could still salvage something from this season um, because between January and the end of the season we really did have to keep the form that we'd seen in December going and we all know what happened next. We jumped on that plane to Dubai. We know that and it's just been an absolute shamble since then. But when, when I think back to all of that and I think back to Neil Lennon presiding over that as a manager and the, the press conference that ensued and all this kind of stuff, I cannot imagine him being in charge. Now, I'm not throwing... Uh, personal abuse at Neil Lennon on this podcast I never have done but I just cannot imagine next season with Neil Lennon at the helm I really cannot no, it definitely feels like you know time for change uh, I, I think Celtic if there is going to be change they've done it the right way it's not been knee jerk you know bad result get him out right grab a manager available uh, I think it's better to do it in a more planned manner which we've seen with the CEO hopefully Ross, De- Ross Desmond does join you know, the, the board so I think yeah, I think the general feeling is that, you know, it's time for change. Lenny might say, what well, he's going to be five out of eight trophies in his second spell, and he, he thinks he, he can still continue on. And I know he's talking about the next two or three years. Well, on the flip side, what's he going to say? He's, he's not going to sit there and go, I'm not planning to be on the summer because I don't think I'll be here. I don't know what kind of reaction that would get in the dressing room. Uh, you know, I think the only manager to, to do that was Delia, and that was April we announced after the Scottish Cup semi final year. You know, less than a month ago in the season he was announcing that he was moving on so yeah I, I, I can't see him still being here would Desmond keep him I doubt it you know they've got to know the feelings uh, and certainly it looks like big changes are afoot if his son joins the board we've now got a new CEO we're now talking about structural change mm-hmm. certainly way you would do any kind of managed change from the top down so the next thing is you know what's the structure and then it'd be Who's the, who's the director of football if it, that's going to be the structure and then who's the manager so it, it looks like they're ticking it off and, and the, the correct order top to bottom yeah top to bottom Lawrence and um, I'm going to go over to the comments section we've got loads of great comments coming in on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube if you are watching on YouTube remember to subscribe to the channel as I said we're getting more and more content on a Celtic State of Mind we also um, produce other shows there's loads of things happening on a State of Mind music, culture um, chat shows politics it's all happening on that channel and a Celtic State of Mind is part of that now in relation to uh, where we are at the moment I had a I look out the studio window before we came in and it's blizzard conditions where we are here in Dalkeith and I'll probably be snowed in so if that is the case you might get an axle extra later on the night um, hopefully that's not the case is it the same where you guys are? Absolutely can hardly see further than 10 yards outside the window blizzard to here I'm just thinking of the game tomorrow night obviously you know it is pretty poor conditions but tomorrow night's game for me I think about uh, the situation we've heard it so many times the Tony Mowbray moment the Tony Mowbray moment Um, and we've seen what St Mirren are capable of I'm very impressed with with Jimmy Goodwin who made the the comment that they don't fear any they don't fear anyone actually it wasn't just they don't fear Celtic and I think he's right not to fear anyone the job he's done the job he did at Alawa was fantastic he's actually followed a similar route to Jack Crow in, in relation to his management and I remember Jimmy Goodwin as a, a young player at Celtic and by all accounts he's a total professional he's a student of the game but what I've been really impressed at watching him this season is just how he has this game plan that every single player buys into now if he's got that team drilled tomorrow night and I think he will have um, on a difficult pitch at uh, St Mirren because to be honest with you I, I can't remember 
correct me if I'm wrong, I can't remember us going there and winning on a canter for some time. But I've just got this memory, uh, you know, I still call it Love Street, uh, New St Mirren Park, uh, that moment, the Tony Mowbray moment. Um, I still think that's in us. I know we've had a couple of wins and I, I don't want it to happen. I'm not being ultra negative. I still have that in us. So even if we did succumb, to such a bad defeat. Do you still think Neil Lennon's bulletproof for the rest of the season, Natasha? I actually do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it's not happened after the string of results that we've had, then it's not going to happen. Um, nothing now will get Neil Lennon sacked before the end of the season. Um, I've, you know, resigned myself to the fact that there isn't going to be a review. Um, we're not, I'm pretty sure we're not going to hear anything. It's going to continue as it is. Um, if we drop more points... I don't think it'll change anything, which is mind-blowing that the board are telling us that this is acceptable um, for a club like Celtic. Um, we can drop the number of points we did in January, you know, even if we drop more points tomorrow night. Nothing changes. We just get on with it and we hear absolutely nothing from the club. Um, bewildering, to be honest, but I think that's just what we've got to expect now on the basis of what we've heard Namely, nothing over over the last couple of months. See, even the very mention now uh, of the review, it's almost as if I feel as though that ship has sailed now. You know, mm-hmm. and that that is the worst part of it is the fact that we are resigned to the fact that we're not going to get an update. Um, it's at your fingertips, a club the size of Celtic, that ability to tap in to season ticket holders and fans' living rooms uh, on their on their laptops, on their smart TVs, on their phones, they could do it at the you know the, the click of a finger. They've got everything at their disposal to do that. And it's not happening. And I'm not sure if it was you, Lawrence, who suggested, but you certainly spoke about having that address before the game on Celtic TV. There you go. You've got a captive audience, 57,000 season ticket holders. Um, I'm not always saying make it interactive. Obviously, we know that that can be difficult. It's difficult enough on this platform, but if Celtic were to do something, it would go out to a greater number of people, I would guess, on match day. Um, even though, to be fair, we're going toe-to-toe with them on YouTube at the moment, um, a Celtic state of mind. But, yeah, it's one of these things, I think the worst part about that is we're almost resigned to the fact that we're not going to get that that update. Now, I've asked the question, how can Celtic regain their fee factor? And Hugh Jameson, um, the site of Big Duffy at centre-half, certainly evokes a sense of fear in me. Thanks for that, Hugh. Some great comments come Coming through, and um, Patrick Murphy, we can only regain the fear factor through winning convincingly and consistently. Something that has eluded us for much of this season. An ambitious appointment for the next manager would also help. Now, you know when you look at appointments and ambitious appointments. If you look at the nine in a row era, and Neil Lennon being a, uh, replaced by Ronnie Dyla who I think it's safe to say we didn't know a great deal about. We all did our homework on him once it was announced, obviously. And then the appointment of Brennan Rogers, completely different level of ambition, completely different approach. If you look at Ronnie Dyla as being kind of like a left-field, up-and-coming coach with new ideas and a fresh approach in developing players, and then you look at Brennan Rogers being this guy who you know what his calibre was. He was coming up having worked with elite clubs at Chelsea and Liverpool, and there was this potential to implement a lot of those, um, you know, those functions at Celtic. Two different levels of ambition, two different approaches. Which one do you think we need come the summer, Lawrence? I think it's got to be the, the big name one, you know, because the big thing's COVID season that renewals, and it's what's going to inspire you, you know, if you're in. Point Jack Ross or, or even Jim Goodwin. I don't think that's going to uh, push people who weren't going to renew back into renewing. But Ronnie was a, a different a Kelly Fish, wasn't he? He wasn't really the, the tried and tested kind of Scottish manager. He was more of a, a forward-thinking gaffer who had, you know, he'd appeared on the radio at a number of clubs, Man City, for example, not as a manager. Uh, well thought of, up-and-coming coach, great at spotting a player. I mean, Odegaard signed for Arsenal last week, didn't he? He was one of his prodigies. Um, so, yeah, more of a long-term. It didn't work out that way for Ronnie, unfortunately. Um, appointment. And there will be coaches like that all around Europe. But I don't think we're facing the well. We were facing the same kind of issues that we're going to face with renewals at the end of this season. So I don't think we needed to be a, as ambitious to reconnect with the fans. Mm. Shall we say? You know, I thought Gill was a, a really brave appointment. You know, and it was exciting for what he brought. Statistically, if you look at, at managers who have long-term success, they tend to win things early in their managerial career. Well, Alex Ferguson kind of been, you know, prime example of that. But well, perhaps Delia has got this. Uh, it wasn't to be, you know. 
they may have had a treble, but you know, decisions sometimes go for you, uh, and a lot of the times they definitely go against us. Yeah, but that's all that stopped them. I think being a treble winning manager. Uh, I think the job was too big for him, Lawrence. I think that's the risk. You know, if you bring in um, a coach who is all about developing players, I mean, he was earning his spurs in Norwegian football. You know, if it works out, Peter Lowell's a genius, isn't he? But uh, after a couple of seasons, um, it didn't capture the imagination, which obviously you could tell by looking at the stands. I mean, that's what it comes down to. I remember, I think it was against Dundee United, was it the 6 2 game in Fergus McCann? unfurled the flag am I right in saying that 6-2 at home Berget scored a couple of goals um, I, I might be wrong someone will correct me I'm sure on the comments section but McCann was definitely the game uh, and the stadium certainly wasn't full so it hadn't captured the imagination like Brennan Rogers did um, but I'm also aware and a wee bit wary I've got to say Natasha of going for profile over ability I mean we could appoint a high profile manager but not get what we're looking for I think Rogers had a, a bit of both in spades um, do you think it's too risky to go for the up and coming kind of European manager who you know might not be a household name to be honest that's not the sort of appointment that I would mind um, you know when we were building up to 10 in a row we had to be very risk proof you know we had to make an appointment like Rogers um, and then we thought that Lennon was the risk free option rather than appointing another manager like Dyla um, now without I wouldn't call it a burden but now without the burden of 10 on your back you know it could be the time to go out there and take another chance on a manager of the similar nature of Dyla, young up-and-coming European manager with good ideas, and, and give them a shot. The problem I see there is that that's not what the fans are looking for, I don't think. I think the board need to be really careful that the fans are already disillusioned, they're already not on side. If they want to sell 30,000 season tickets next year, they need to bring out a marquee signing and by way manager. Um, they need to make a big appointment. It needs to be someone to get the fans excited. It needs to be someone that's going to get people turning up at the stadium to actually renew their ticket and commit to next season. Mm. Um, the board need to make that commitment themselves by appointing a big name manager. It's not risk-proof either, um, but just the way the feeling is around the club at the moment, there needs to be that signposting of we're looking to achieve something big here. Here's your big name um, and we'll fix this next season. Mm -hmm. Now, um, OB Boy comes in to say that's the million-dollar question. It certainly is. Just on that, a wee update on a Celtic State of Mind. Obviously, the success of a Celtic State of Mind is down to everybody who tunes in uh, on a regular basis, but also all the contributors, because they make my life so much easier. Uh, Lawrence and I haven't had a falling out for a wee while. I think that's maybe down to yourself, Natasha. But um, it's all about opinions and changing people's views on subjects that basically involve Celtic, which is what we're all interested in. But um, we, we do keep up to date with the, the kind of figures. We're going out on various platforms, YouTube, uh, audio podcast platforms. So everybody from Spreaker, who hosts us right through to iTunes, we're currently in the top 10 of the UK charts. We're sitting at number nine. We were number one in Luxembourg a couple of weeks ago, by the way. And for some strange reason last week, we flew up the charts in France. I don't understand it all the time. Maybe the Swiss charts will get a wee boost on Sunday when Ramon Vega's episode goes out. Uh, but we're also on Periscope, which uh, Twitter uses and Facebook live but over the last month our figures were 1.2 million um, which is absolutely incredible it's, it's amazing to give you some perspective on that two Januaries ago our monthly figure was 8,500 two Januaries ago so two years on 1.2 million which is um, incredible and I, I hope that everybody continues to, to tune in through the uprising which I expect to happen after this season you know we get that new man in place um, and then you know we show the fans what the strategy is and we can all be in that again together because it doesn't feel as though we are uh, currently now one of the interesting stories over the last couple of days uh, that piqued my interest was John Collins we've been talking about Ronnie Dyla his assistant was, was John Collins, who had the job before Ronnie did, which was part of the problem, I think. But, I mean, I think back to Collins as a player. He was a class act. He was a class act as a player. Um, he played on a Celtic team that was poor for the best part. And then, obviously, he followed his own career path and he was a big success at Monaco, Everton, Fulham. 
and then obviously had some success at Hibs but whilst at Hibs he worked with Scott Brown and in actual fact he sold Scott Brown to Celtic so he's been quite vocal over the last day or so about Scott Brown's future and he reckons he actually reckons that Brown should have been replaced before now Lawrence I'm going to come to you first do you think that's been a harsh assessment by John Collins on the captain? Yeah, well no because we've definitely been left vulnerable when we've left it to the stage where it's beyond what Brown's capable of what we need to do but saying that we brought in players that we thought were going to replace him Kroasi, Sorrell Kroasi didn't work out but when you get to the stage you don't have a ready made replacement it's going to dip and sometimes it's not just the position Natasha was talking about Welsh speaking well, Brown's very vocal when he's in the team so was Lustig you know who are the vocal players within the team that help organise things in the park so mm-hmm. I don't think it, it's harsh that we should have somebody in before it and they should have been getting bled into the team you know whether it was Brown playing two, two out of every three games or somebody coming in for, on for the last 20 minutes it's certainly something that will not manage the transition of as smooth as it could be but it's always going to be a, a hard transition to manage when you lose a player with Brown but yeah it could definitely have been managed better but yeah, yeah I mean Collins is, a, is entitled to his opinion as anyone isn't he yeah. but when you look at Jai he was going to sign on for Celtic for 10 years when he signed and it was Billy mm. Hill talking about signing a, a 10 year contract he was also offered a deal at the last minute by Rangers then he would have made a lot more money had he gone there and I always remember that when I think of John Collins because I know there's a lot of Celtic fans aren't big big fans of Collins uh, in terms of his management and, and his time at Celtic with Ronnie Dyler but as a player he was a class class act what's your thoughts on that because Natasha I think Scott Brown played pretty well against Kelly it looked as though he had a point to prove you know he was fired up for that game uh, but then again I didn't I didn't think he had a great game against Motherwell yeah do you know what I think that is I think it's been very harsh by Collins um, we've relied on Brown heavily over the last couple of years and I think you know taking this season aside the last two years he's been integral to our success um, mm. and he's been a real driving force on the pitch is this season one season too many? I don't think I'd go as far to say that yet. Um, you know, when the last couple of games since he's come back in, you know, I think the team have had more drive. I think we've been playing at a higher tempo, at least, you know, for the first 60 minutes before the fitness levels kick in again. Um, but, you know, for the first 60 minutes, you know, I think he gives us a bit of tempo, um, a bit of drive, a bit of energy, a bit of encouragement. And it's almost like having an extra coach on the park. Um and I think he does that role in a way that we've not quite managed to replace yet. Um, by not giving Sorrow enough of a chance, that's not the sort of player Sorrow is yet. It didn't work out with Kuasi. Um, McGregor's not that type of player. So I don't think we have another Scott Brown in the squad right now. Um, and to be honest, I've I've liked him since in the last couple of games. Um, has he been outstanding? No. But has he given us just that something else that I don't think we've replaced yet? Yeah, he does. You know, when we're talking about Scott Brown, of course, the manager that gave him the captain's armband for the first time was Tony Mowbray. And sometimes I f- find it unfair that we talk about the Mowbray moment. We talk about the 4 nothing defeat against tomorrow's opponents because Mowbray was more than that to Celtic. And I don't mean as a manager, but as a player, he introduced the huddle. He'll be remembered forever for that. That's part of the fabric of the club. He gave Scott Brown the captain's armband. Scott Brown then went on to be a hugely successful captain for Scott, for Celtic and I just sometimes think that you know history there's a bit of revisionism there when it comes to guys like Tony Mowbray he was never a Celtic great as a player again he played in, in poor times for Celtic but um, I, I tend to think further back than that 4 nothing defeat when it comes to, to Tony Mowbray my only concern really uh, with Scott Brown is one of the things I won't give too much away one of the things I spoke to Ramon Vega about and it is this is relevant is he spoke about some of the the parts of the, the club that makes it an institution and one thing he spoke about was John Clark who is still officially the kit manager obviously former player, former coach assistant manager to Billy McNeil for many years at the club and he moves into being the kit man uh, and that's a very important role at Celtic because obviously the kit man before John Clark was Neely Mockin and Neely Mockin had been the coach that coached the Lisbon Lions he'd been the man that scored in the 7-1 game he'd won us the Coronation Cup so it's an important role and Ramon Vega spoke about the very fabric of the club and the fact that you need these figures at the club guys that know what the club's all about so that when you get people coming in from 
overseas or youngsters coming to the club, they can learn what this is all about because this is a club where you've got to win every game. And that's when we talk about the winning mentality. Scott Brown, his time as a player might be coming to an end. How important do you think it is, especially when you're looking at this summer where things are going to get ripped up, where you keep that constant? Yeah, he might still be registered as a player, but let's make sure he's there, maybe even on the coaching staff. And I don't mean jobs for the boys. I've seen a lot of that being spoken about. We need the best people for the job rather than giving uh, jobs to A, B and C because he played with Celtic. I think it goes a wee bit deeper than that sometimes. And you need to have that identity of a winning captain who'd been there for over a decade with all the the honours that he's won. And I think that's important, especially during a transition. Um, Do you reckon there is a future for Scott Brown beyond playing, Natasha? Absolutely. Um, And I really hope he stays at the club. Um, Like you said, that knowledge of playing for Celtic, what it takes to play for Celtic, to be a Celtic player, be a Celtic captain, you know, that's invaluable. And, you know, we're always reluctant to to lose that. I mean, you just have to look at our last captains. You know, we've got one of them in the dugout, you know, Stephen McManus is then a coach. You know, the captains do tend to to stay about. And I'd like to see us do the same with Brown um, and keep him in some capacity. Um, Maybe next year he does stay registered as a player, but is more on the sidelines. He's done all his coaching badges, we know that. Um, he could go into a similar role as, you know, McManus, but just have him around the club, um, I think that's invaluable to do so. My slight concern is that he he fancies another year or two. Australia was mentioned last year. Maybe that's something he's considering this year. Um, it would be his final shot at it, I think. So if he's going to do that, then I think that was something he would consider at the end of this season. Um but, you know, if he does that, there's no harm in going away for a couple of years and coming back. Um, but for me, I'd love to see him around the club in some capacity next season. Um, I think he's invaluable, whether that's off the pitch or, or otherwise. Um, so fingers crossed he, he does choose to stay in, in some role next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I really do. Lawrence, it's all about this boot room mentality. Now, Liverpool were famous for it, but so actually are Celtic. If you look at the, the baton being passed from Neely Mocking to John Clark, I mean, that's almost, I mean, that's decades and decades of service between the two men. You know, Neely was there in the 50s, John Clark's still there today. And I don't mean that, jo- that Scott Brown's going to be similar to that, but I just, the continuity of success, the continuity of knowing what the club is about is so important at a club like Celtic. He turns 36 in June. We know that his playing days is coming to an end. Do you think it's important, Lawrence? I mean, it's not about jobs for the boys. It's all about, you know, you see it in other clubs. Ajax do it, Barcelona do it. You know, if, you, if you're if you signing as a, a 13 or 14-year-old, you might get a chap at the door if you're signing for Ars, uh, Ajax and it's an ex-player walking into the room. How can you say no? I think it's important at a club like Celtic. Yeah, no, it's definitely important. You know, you touch more Mark. Sean Fallon used to do it. Even Jimmy McGrory was, you know, Away for Kelly for a while, then he was back, and even after he was there, no longer the boss, he stayed on as the public relations officer. So, I definitely think it's important. A lot is going to come down to if there's a new manager, what he sees role as, and, and what Scott's ambitions are. Maybe Scott does think, you know, I fancy a player manager job somewhere, I want yeah. to go away and experience something outside of Celtic because it's been a while since he's experienced that. Because he, he's an ambitious guy, you know, no doubt, though. Uh, an eye on a manager's job and perhaps even at some someday a manager at Celtic. So if he thinks he's best served moving on, perhaps it is. But you know, you've touched on we've got McManus there. That is a captain, that's one. John Clark's still there, you know, Tom Boyd's still in and about the club. So it's important that Celtic keep guys like these at the club. Mm. I like to, to keep Brown, but perhaps Scott sees his, his future elsewhere. Maybe it is Australia or maybe he gets a, an offer elsewhere. He's got to be an attractive proposition for any club. I thought we, you know, the amount of experience he's got and he's a proven winner. So if someone's looking to, for a manager or a player manager or you know one of the smaller football nations, shall we say, want a draw where there's a big Celtic diaspora, they might think, you know what? He's got box office in our country uh, and he's, he's coming along with great reputation. 
Absolutely is. Gigi is uh, commenting on YouTube. We seek the fear factor and the thunder, but Lenny only wants to be not too shabby. We absolutely do, um, you know, dissect everything that that's coming out of Celtic Park at the moment, don't we? And uh, obviously that was the that was the words used by Neil Lennon talking about Celtic's form. Kenny sixty seven says, in terms of the so called review, it was the club who stated there would be one, but their silence is deafening. Whereas Colin Rogers comes in to say the review was never promised to be for public consumption. Now, in relation to that, though, how difficult would it be just to engage with us? Even to say that the review is ongoing. And I think there is a a very interesting point uh, coming in from Jack Carlo on YouTube. Mackay is in. Harkin might be in. And the review is ongoing. Plain to see the changes are being made, of course. The manager is in. They don't want to announce that um, to respect the current manager. I think that goes back, Lawrence, to what you were saying, isn't it? I mean, we're doing our... It seems to be that we're doing our business behind the scenes very much. But it does feel as though, as fans, we're kind of being isolated. Um, How can they do that that better, but also keep things in-house, Natasha? I think it's simple. I really do. I I feel that it's really simple. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before. And you only have to actually look at what Aberdeen did last night. Um, You know, Aberdeen are in a bad run of form. They hadn't promised a review, but they recognised their obligation to communicate with their fans. And they put out a statement on their website last night and said, like, we've met with McInnes, we've talked about the run of form, we're aware it's not good enough, but on the basis of X, Y and Z, we think he's the man to get us out of this rut. Easy, you know. They they just Done. came out and said that told told the fans what happened in the background, told them there'd been this discussion, told them the outcome and their reasoning for it. That's not hard, um, you know. And the fans weren't expecting it, but it was good of the club to do it. And it just makes you know the Aberdeen fans that I've spoken to have said, you know what? Okay, fair enough. You know, it's not good. Some of them want to see him gone. Some of them don't. Um, but the club are keeping them in the loop. They're communicating with them. Um, and that makes them then feel valued. So why we're not doing that, I have absolutely no idea. It is about uh, feeling valued. Now, I've kept the best to last because Lawrence is sitting there waiting on me to ask about refereeing and officials and consistency. Um, we know that the Albion Ayeti uh, citation has been delayed by a day. He should learn his eight today, by all accounts. I was having a look at that earlier. You compare and contrast that to, let's say, um, Devante Cole versus Sorrow, and there'll be others. I'm sure you've got a list there, Lawrence. Um, What's your thoughts at the moment? Because, I mean, there is this inconsistency that then it begs the question, Natasha, something you might have a view on in relation to VAR. Is that something that we should be seriously considering in Scottish football? Well, it's a difficult one Um, and I had been debating it in in one of my group chats and I thought, you know, let's put this out to to Twitter and see what people think. Um, By the end of the poll that I ran, um, there had been around two and a half thousand votes and the vote was 55% yes and 45% no. So that's very tight. Um, You speak to English football fans and they hate it. they think it's ruining the game and you know even watching it as not a fan of any English team watching the English games I do think VAR is ruining it the margins that they're using are the tightest of margins and I don't think that it's improving the decision making you have referees looking at VAR you're looking at the screens or the ones in the studio and they're still in my opinion getting the decisions wrong and that's because football and some of the decisions that are being made are so subjective so I'm not sure that VAR is going to help us improve in the decision making the standard of refereeing in Scotland is not good. Um, and it's going to be these referees at that level who are then making the decisions while looking at VAR. So for me, I think it's taking the life out of the game. I don't think we have the quality of referees in Scotland to manage it. Um, and I wouldn't like to see it introduced, even if it would perhaps cut down on some of the honest mistakes and lack of sight and I didn't quite see that one and that was just the yellow and we'll catch it on the, the next one but it might take away some of those decisions but um, still for me I, I don't want VR in Scotland <clears throat> Lawrence what's your view on it I mean there's also been a, a, a long held argument of that we need professionals we need professional re- referees we need full time referees do you think that would make any difference in this country Lawrence yeah I think it should make a difference. I mean, I think video review has definitely got a part to play. I mean, we should be using it with our players, 
using video review and showing them what they've done wrong in games and, and mm-hmm. how they proved. And listen, this mistake you're doing wrong. Are we using it with referees? You know, if a referee says one player's 25 yards out, brings somebody down, it's a red. But a few games later, the same referee decides that 25 yards out and getting brought down is only a yellow. It, it's so, surely something the referee supervisor is going, well, how can you have two very similar situations and you, and you can't make a decision? But I suppose we've touched on it, decision-making is uh, mind-boggling. You've got a stamp in an ankle that sometimes is watched on video and upgraded to a red, and sometimes the stamp in an ankle is watched on video and there's no action taken. So you, you, it's who's making the decisions. But I think it, in any kind of decision, you're looking for some kind of consistency and some kind of explanation of why it's only a yellow card on this occasion, but on other occasions it's a red, or it's only a yellow card in-game, but after the game, it was so serious that, yeah, we're going to get the red. And I think if we can look for any statistical aberrations, that you'd maybe know more about this than me, Paul, that would warrant further investigations. Why do we have statistical aberrations in terms of sending off so penalties being awarded or not awarded? Is there anything further to look at there? And if there's some video evidence that says there's something really strange going on, it's something that really needs addressed. I know that the national broadcaster perhaps doesn't... They didn't broadcast the, the elbow in Welsh or the kick to Soros' chest or, you know, roofs over the over the top of the ball, studs down stamp, uh, was no malice. You're going, well, malice or not, it's endangering an opponent. It, it's as straight a red as you'll ever see, but you're the national broadcaster coming out and saying, ah, oh, yeah, it's probably worth a, yellow, a yellow. <laughs> Don't know how they've come up with that, over the top of the ball, studs down stamp. Even beyond that, because again, Lawrence, you've touched on a subject that um, comes into our discussion time and time again in terms of the standards um, and the consistency, to use someone else's words, that is applied in Scottish football. I'm looking at the the incident with Ayeti and I'm also looking at his progress in this team and the last thing he needs is a two-game ban. Um, How much sympathy do you have for him? Natasha in relation to the move that so far hasn't really worked out because I think there's a talent in there isn't there? Yeah that's it you know when Ayeti first came into the team we all thought you know we found something here he was scoring goals um, he was looking good and then that just happened to drop off slightly Um, it's frustrating for me that he's started to get back in the team again and now as a result of this red card we might possibly see him miss a couple of games Um, because I'd like to see him get a run. I really think that him and Edward could develop the partnership and understanding that they've not been able to do yet. Um, and I think they could be successful if they did manage to get a run in the team together. They're both sort of players that work well together. You know, Ayeti likes being in around the box um, and staying there. And Edward likes dropping off, looking for the ball and creating that link-up play. Um, that's a good combination to have together. Um, so I'd, hopefully, you know, that red card gets overturned and we can see a bit of a run in the team for both of them. I think that's what he's needing um, and his confidence will uh, definitely benefit from that. Graham Bell, welcome back, Graham. Uh, McGinn, uh, John McGinn, was the perfect replacement for Brown, absolutely. However, Tumble has all the, the traits of being a leader as well as being a fabulous player. I mean, he has been a shining light in this season of seasons and I think that um, he's still developing I mean still a young man and we're going to see the best of David Turnbull my biggest issue is there was no comparisons actually Uh, yesterday we were talking about how he's better than Armstrong but invariably what will happen is if we get a whole season out of him playing to this kind of level it's going to be hard to keep a hold of him is that a concern for you Natasha? Yeah, I think it is. And, you know, we're the catalyst for our own downfall in this sort of area. And it's something that, you know, we've talked about before, is that Celtic are bringing in players who are of the level that they are eventually going to play at a higher level. Um, Celtic is not the end stop for a lot of players we bring in. We bring in young quality players who are going to go on and play at some of Europe's highest leagues and at the highest level. You just have to look at Van Dijk and Dembele and Tierney and Armstrong to know that the players that we're bringing in are going to go on and achieve. You know, Celtic isn't the end stop. And I think that's what perhaps sets us apart from the rest of the league. Um, no disrespect to the players in the rest of the league, but a lot of them are playing at as high a level they can get. Um, you know, for example, Rangers signing players from Aberdeen 
are Rangers is going to be the highest level that they can get to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Celtic are different from there. We're signing players who Celtic isn't going to be the highest level they can get to, which as a result means there's going to be more players looking at the door. There's going to be more clubs sniffing around and we are going to struggle to hold on to them. And Turnbull might eventually fall into that category. He's still young. Um, hopefully he sees a couple of years at Celtic um, minimum before turning his head to the door. Um, or maybe he turns into a Scott Brown and commits his future to the club and stays and really carves out that role for his own. Um, it remains to be seen, but I'd like him to, to stay about for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to see him staying for a lot longer than that cycle, about three years that you do see with players yeah. coming in. Um, obviously, we've got a game tomorrow night. Lawrence, I'm going to come to you first. What's your thoughts tomorrow night? I reckon it will be a tight game against St Mirren. They will be well drilled. Uh, they will be confident, having beaten us in our own patch. How do you see the game going? Yeah, I think it's going to be tight. Jim Goodwin, as you say, sets his teams up well. He's tactically astute. Uh, Hopefully we've got a, a Yeti for it. Hopefully we keep the settled defence. Yeah. I I think we'll win. I don't don't see us losing it some but I think it's going to be like one 0 two one. I think it is going to be a particularly tight yet. Yeah. Is that what you call it now, uh, Natasha? What about yourself? Tight, yeah, I think it's going to be tight. I'd like to see us um, get a clean sheet. I think, you know, if we keep the back four the same, keep that settled, there's no reason why we can't do that. But I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Um, I I think we'll come out on top, um, but I do think it'll be tight. We'll be covering the game as we always do on a Celtic State of Mind, half an hour before kick-off. We've got a full house tomorrow night. Um, Thanks everybody for getting involved. It's been a busy old day on the comment section on Facebook, Twitter and on YouTube. And remember, as I said before, please subscribe because we've got loads of content coming up, loads of new shows, Celtic-related and otherwise. All that's left for me to say once again on a Tuesday on the Axon Bulletin is thank you, Lawrence Conley and Natasha Meikle for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Social Podcast Network. Sports 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 Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.